Welcome back. This is Patrick Carpenter and this is Stretching with Old Men. I've got Donnie Pike sitting in with me today. Thanks for coming back, Donnie. It's totally my pleasure, Patrick. So nice to see you. What another gorgeous day in Maui. Hey, you know, the people ask me all the time, what was it like in Maui last week? And I said, well, it was nice. And they said, well, how about uh, yesterday? And I said, it was nice. What about today? Well, nice. <laughs> it, and that's just the way it is here on Maui. It's just every day is a, a whole new opportunity to appreciate life. Yes, it is. Gorgeous. We're happy to be here. I'm happy you're here. Um, I want to thank our listeners for supporting us. Thank you. Thank you so much. And that's why we've got Donnie back. I think he has some more stories to share and I feel like I've got one of the stories that he was speaking of in the last episode uh, was uh, unfortunately cut off and I wanted to jump back in and just ask you about your diving and where that came about. Well, when I was in high school, uh, <laughs> when I was in high school, I was also working at a dive store in, in Los Angeles area and Van Nuys actually. And uh, they uh, were opening a new <laughs> opening a new store in Ventura, California, and they wanted me to be the manager of that store. So I had been training skin and scuba diving at the dive store for a couple of years already, and okay. probably spending five days a week. I'd get to school, and they'd say, "Hey, there he is! <laughs> Don't I know you? You used to come to this school, didn't you?" <laughs> uh, right. Anyway, I dropped out of high school in the 11th grade and, and took, uh, took the job uh, in uh, Ventura for the dive store and we set up dive classes, ran all our, our uh, lessons out to the Channel Islands through Ventura Marina. Uh, I used I bought a brand new Ford Arrow at 17. My bought this brand new Ford F250 four wheel drive truck, bright red. Put airplane tires on it. You know those single groove tires. Airplane tires. Airplane tires, right? Huge. Why? Why? Because we wanted to run spear fishing expeditions down in Mexico to go spear fishing. So that we did and we we made some trips down to a little fishing village in the sea on the sea of cortez called uh bahia quino the bay of quino and uh, there's an island called tiburon island just offshore that we uh would go out and and spearfish at for a broomtail grouper and and this is all free diving we didn't use any scuba it was me and my friend Al Schnippershoff, who was the world spearfishing champion in 1955 or 56. Don't, exact year, don't, don't get on me about, but <laughs> it was no, back then. Yeah, so we were, we dove out there and we had all kinds of, those people treated us like kings. We'd bring like 1,800 pounds of fish into this little fishing village every day. And we'd we'd go down there with twenty dollars in our pocket and stay for three weeks. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah, we had so much fun in those days shooting fish. Now yeah. stop me. Let me stop you for just a second. Go back to the tires. Why airplane tires? 
Why airplane tires? Because we could let the air pressure down to about nine pounds and they were all screwed to the rims so they wouldn't come off and you could walk over any sand dune in Mexico. <laughs> any sand Brilliant. dune. We could go any Thank place you. with that truck. <laughs> That's a great idea. That's funny. It's like funny it. how tires work in sand, you know. I've been stuck in sand before, I know. But with those airplane tires with the low air pressure to just squish out and make this big footprint that would just wouldn't wouldn't bury itself. At seventeen. I got the picture now. <laughs> hey, yeah, you know, that was that was my main aspiration in life at that time. What shoot, year was that? Shoot shoot fish. Nineteen sixty seven. And I uh, was running dive classes, running a dive store, and then boom, got a letter from Uncle Sam, and next thing you know, I was in the Army. And but <laughs> tell us again about um, the story that, I apologize, was cut off about uh, your spearfishing for grouper. Oh, for the Anywhere. grouper? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, I was 17 in the water five days a week on a... a a spearfishing team that competed along the California coast and and uh, at that time in my life I was probably the healthiest I've ever been I could the object of shooting broomtail grouper is you you can't stock them there they are very evasive so what you have to do is you have to dive down to the bottom and sit on a rock and wait for them to come to you and the depth that we were working in was 125 feet, so, and it was wow. crystal clear. You could even you could see the surface. And it was a long ways away. <laughs> so you have to you're free diving 120 or 25 feet. And then at that point, our, your wetsuit compresses, so you become much more heavy at that, and you can just sit on a rock. Okay. And you're looking, you see in a distance the 60 pounders start circling around you and then the 80 pounders are just behind them and the 100 and 110 pounders are behind them and it was all a waiting game and how long you figure you could stay there before making yourself. How long you could hold your breath. How long you fish. could hold your breath and, and uh, <laughs> how big the fish was was how long you could wait. And then you still have to get back to the surf so you still have to get back up. Oh yeah, well see that's that's the part where you want to shoot a big fish because when you shoot a big fish at that depth you can grab either side of the spear that went through him and point him towards the surface and he'll actually pull you to the top of the water which makes wow. and faster than you could swim up <laughs> <laughs> and how many minutes are we talking do you have a sense of that for you oh, say? I don't know five minutes that's, five that's minutes. a long time I just, yeah that's it was a lot. I woke up on the surface several times, coughing and sputtering. And <laughs> <laughs> so a little beyond five minutes. Yeah. Oops. <laughs> Sometimes a little here. too far, right? A little too far. No, but you know, when I train people to free dive, it's uh, it's more of a mind thing. When you consider, you know, everybody when they automatically start huffing and puffing and taking deep breaths and and and. Uh, and then holding their breath. What they don't realize is if you think like a sea lion does that brings his body metabolism down to one-fifth the normal rate before it takes in a breath and dives, mm -hmm. 
he has um, relaxed himself. So it's kind of a, you got to put yourself in the zen, zen state, laying up on a surface with slow, deep breaths until finally, and always weigh yourself a little negative so you don't have to struggle going down. You want to glide down, just, you want to pike and go down, extend and just glide down with your spear gun out in front of you. And you'd be amazed at uh, how much you can extend your bottom time by getting your body in a, into a totally relaxed state before you uh, scramble down. <laughs> I'm feeling quite relaxed after you said all that, quite honestly. That was great. It's almost like you're doing a meditation and then, and then diving. Exactly, exactly. And when you get down to the bottom, you got to remember 125 feet has already collapsed that wetsuit, so it feels like a glove squeezing. You don't feel like you have an ounce of air in your lungs because that's also compressed. Right. If you're, if you take a balloon that's filled with with air to till it's 12 inches across, and you push it down to 33 feet, 29 point, uh, I can't remember the exact. But that's one atmosphere, and that'll squeeze that balloon down to six inches. It'll be half as big as it was. On. Of course. So you never, with freediving, you you only have the air you started with. Of course. So at 33 feet, it's going to be six inches across. At uh, at uh, 125 feet, it's going to be com you know almost completely compressed. You what else did you catch besides uh, grouper? Oh, we shot, uh, we got a lot of uh, uh, yellowtail, bluefin, tuna, albacore. Uh, the whole of, seafood counter, basically. Oh, absolutely, you know. Any favorites for you? or you hey, like when, I was, uh, when I was a kid growing up, every time I'd come home from a diving trip, my relatives got so happy, I passed out all this lobster <laughs> and, and sea bass. Yeah. I shot a 428-pound black sea bass when, when, they were legal, wow. when, when they were legal in California mm. off of uh, Catalina Island. Mm. And uh, got, uh, was able to get over 250 pounds of one-inch sea bass steaks that Lovely. yeah I had a friend that was uh, worked in a butcher shop that cut it all up for me and got it all ready to go in the freezer for all of my all of my uh, relatives all of your lucky relatives <laughs> yeah seafood presents for Christmas. yeah I was in the water at the beach every day for five at least five days a week for all of 1967 and uh, had a lot of good times, met a lot of really interesting people. Anyone stand out? Probably. There's a little restaurant called uh, Coral Beach Cafe right off uh, PCT, or the Pacific Crest Highway, PCH, uh, just between, I think it was Point Doom and, and, and Paradise Cove. Mm -hmm. There's a Coral Beach there, and I was down there one morning and uh, went diving, got a couple of bugs, a couple of lobster, nice eye, and I'm coming out of the water and here this guy come walking down the beach towards me and he walks up to me and he says, man, those are great looking lobster, you know, so we sit and examine them for a while. So I told him about my friend's restaurant across the street 
Okay. Uh, Tony, who was in my diving club, the Aqua Ventures. <laughs> that's back, a great name. Yeah, that's, that's been a while back. But uh, anyway, I told him about him. I said, I'll take these lobster up there and cook them up. You want one of them? And he said, sure. So so this he, me and this guy walked up to across uh, the road, went over, and I talked to uh, Tony, the restaurant owner. And he was also in my dive club. He'd come out on a bug trips. Anyway, he cooked up those two lobster, and, and this guy that I met on the beach, uh, we sat and enjoyed this lobster and gobbled it all up, and then he was off and on his way, and I was off and on my way, and I could... But if you, if you can picture a long-haired guy with uh, little round rim glasses... No. <laughs> and uh, so popular at the time. <laughs> <laughs> I know a few people like that, or yeah. couple, maybe only a couple people like that. It was John Lennon, you know. We wow. Didn't, and we didn't even talk about music. He was just, he found himself <laughs> a place to be away from. I'm sure what he was exposed to all the time, and I didn't want to push it. And, and definitely, Lobster was a good. Uh, a <laughs> good topic. <laughs> that's a really great story, Donnie. Thank you for sharing that. It's a, that's an amazing story. He was, of course, looking for some anonymity and absolutely indulging him in that. And wow, that's how often does that happen in somebody's life? That's just amazing. And he was 67. That was 1967, yeah. Just after the Beatles had arrived in uh, the States. And wow, somebody going in one direction, somebody going in this direction. Um, interesting how those those intersect sometimes. Yeah, exactly. Right? It's it's amazing, you know. Would you call that synchronicity or just happenstance? Or? Uh, <laughs> well, I was always a big Beatles fan growing up, mm -hmm. and uh, I love their music. I love their ingenious. I loved that, that all of their songs were different. It wasn't like listening to the well, same they were ever song changing. backwards, you know. They were yeah. uh, always creative, always, uh, whether it was fighting or getting along, yeah, they yeah. were still producing something that uh, uh, a lot of people hadn't heard, and yeah. obviously so so influential, yeah. and wow, what a treat for you just to hang for of course, they're populating Jim Eustace, Grant, and Rafe. Oh, no, those darn Beatles are ruining it for us. You know, they <laughs> Who was screaming? My, my oldest brother, Jim. Your, your brother, Jim Pike. <laughs> yeah, he told me at one time, he says, if anybody brings a Beatles record into this house, I'm going to break it into a thousand pieces. <laughs> you didn't hear that a lot in that time. No, not at you all. You rarely heard that. No, no. In fact, <laughs> that very same rander, my my older brother would uh, turn out to be one of the biggest Beatle fans around. <laughs> Truth be told. Yeah. Fantastic. Yep. Did he have like a collection and just... Well, he did, He, you know, for example, the hit we had in 1970 with a song called Love, it was Jim's solo. Mm -hmm. And uh, actually it was the only song I can think of that all three of us, Jim, Gary, and myself, were on the same recording. And Tony was there, of course. Tony he always has Tony's vocal qualities in the blend, makes, makes it really nice for backgrounds, too, you know. Fantastic.
you know so influential even uh, obviously to even today but um, certainly certainly during the course of your time as a musician and prior to that uh, as you're growing up one that's hugely influential just a little tag on the end of that story is <laughs> in 1970 we had a hit with that song written by by uh, uh, John Lennon called love and uh, Jim's solo on that was immaculate. I loved it, and a lot of people did. And there was an astronaut that went to the moon and took a cassette of love with him and left it in the time capsule on the moon. So I can actually look up at the moon at night. Though it was a small part, just singing harmony in the background with my brother and Tony. But my voice is on the moon, you know. What it, it's, <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah, it's, oh, that's a great, it makes, it makes great me smile story. every time I see the moon. <laughs> Not too many people can say that either. <laughs> wow, thanks for sharing that. Oh, my pleasure. That's what we're here is to stretch a little bit and talk about uh, Whatever. things we've experienced in our lives. Yeah, that's why I started the podcast, wanted to just... I think my all the, you know there's still a lot of Letterman fans out there and 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 a few Donny Pike fans around the world. <laughs> so if if they can find this entertaining, I'll definitely try to guide them to it. Say hello to it, saying big hi to them. The best best fans in the world. Right? Yeah. Yes, of course they are. There's the committed. They've been fans for how long now? Oh, a few years. First hit was in 1961, <laughs> and there's there are fans that are that have been here for the duration, all the way through, dedicated fans. You're a lucky man. Thanks for coming in and sharing. And I, I want to have you back. I'm. I, I want to do some other things, but I, you're here, and you're always welcome to stop in and and share, of course, because who has stories like these? They're fantastic. I, I, I'm so excited to, to hear some other things in the well, near future from you. Well, I could, you know. <laughs> I'll have to stop talking Sorry that to you're you. limited for time right? because I could go on. And <laughs> I have to. I have to not ask you stuff because I don't want you to tell me the good juicy bits. I'd rather have you share with everybody in the podcast. So that's a really hey, difficult position. When you get to my age, which is I'm I'm 72 and I'm. I'm not that old yet. I'm not ready to check in for another, you know, 50 years or so, but... Right on. <laughs> Me either. But uh, you get to that point and you realize that uh, you've got to enjoy the moment and uh, the stories that are collected that every time anybody says anything about anything it can bring up a memory of an old story and I've got... Endless stories to tell you. That's great, Tony. Thanks again so much for your time. I really appreciate it, my friend. You're, you're so generous with, as a person. Um, he, if you don't know, you should know by now that Donnie gives of himself all the time. He's always available to, to help out. You know, uh, sometimes I need some help with something that he knows way better than I do, or Carol needs something and it's more of a emergency type of situation. It could be, and he's right there and. That's what a true friend is. Thank you. Well, it's my pleasure. My pleasure, too. Thanks so much for listening to my podcast, Stretching with Old Men. You're going to hear Donnie in the future, and I hope this was uh, uh, as much fun for you as it was for me. And we'll uh, look forward to you all joining us on the next episode. 
Have a nice afternoon from Maui. I'm going to have to write a theme song for you as well. God, it's a great idea. I love it. Look forward to a theme song from Donnie Pike. Yay. You guys all have a great day. Aloha from Maui.